And I remember the happy hour meeting and I remember sneaking beer in my Mountain Dew can to the happy hour oh meeting. Oh my God, look And at then you. stopping doing that because I couldn't figure out how to get a second beer. I couldn't get a <laughs> beer in the meeting. But it also means I'm very, very patient with sponsees that can't quite stay sober. Like, okay, yeah, I drank on that one too. Yep. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, it's my favorite time of the month. Oh, your district meeting is happening tonight, right? Uh, no. The new grapevine is here. Oh, yeah. You know, it surely is. And this month's special section features powerful stories about relapse by members who were lucky enough to make it back. In If Walls Could Talk, the photo section showing AA meeting sites, there's an attractive one from the Early Risers meeting in Castle Rock, Colorado. Picture some chairs around a picnic table outdoors, overlooking a vast landscape below with the front range of the Rockies far in the distance. I've been to lots of meetings in Castle Rock back when I was traveling for work, but I never went to a meeting at that location. It's flat prairie country, with one prominent red mountain, the Castle Rock. The meeting has to be up there, judging from the view. I spent a minute just looking at that and daydreaming myself into that meeting. Now I want to go back to Castle Rock. <laughs> you know, I kind of think you ought to add some magical dreamy sound to that whole story there, because you were painting a picture. <laughs> well, it's a great photograph. In Breaking the Cycle, a member shares a sad, touching account of chronic relapsing, compassion, and a longtime AA friendship. John Kay writes, I'm not trying to advocate or defend revolving door sobriety. I'm a first responder, and I see too many dead alcoholics to do that. What I'm asking for is a little more understanding and respect for those who have interrupted sobriety. I've always thought that a calendar is a lousy way to measure someone's progress or standing in the program. That emphasis on time is why some people who relapse after long-term sobriety find it hard to humble themselves and come back. Anyone who comes back to AA is a winner. Yeah, that's right. There, there are no failures here. The only failures are those who don't make it back. Yeah. In the story, No Defense... A woman stops going to meetings after 18 years, then reaches for a glass of wine without a second thought. She says, within just two weeks of being sober, my gratitude started to come back. I appreciated things that had lost meaning, little things like the beauty of nature, get this, and the ability to walk and feel steady on my feet. I could start a sentence and not lose my train of thought before I finished. You know, just grateful for the little things. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, I really relate to that reaching for a glass of wine. I was at a point in well, mid-sobriety and sat with friends who had a glass of wine. And I used to drink with this man. Mm -hmm. And I realized in that moment how easy it would be for me to reach out and pick up that glass without even thinking. Yeah. No, I didn't. I had gone to a meeting earlier that day, and that helped, too. That's right. 
In the story, The Day I Unmuted, a relapsing newcomer puts in a plug for virtual meetings because they made it possible to log in and listen until she was ready to stop drinking. And I liked On a Mission, ignoring a sponsor's suggestions, a member finds himself drunk with a gun heading for his brother's house. Sheesh. Mm. You're going to have to get the issue to find out what happens. How can people get the grapevine, Sam? Well, you can visit aagrapevine.org. Since the grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines or on the website or on this podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept donations from AA members. If you want to support Grapevine, visit store.aagrapevine.org. Sam, who are we going to meet today? Well, Don, as usual, on the first Monday of the month, today's guest is a writer from this month's magazine. Lynn W. is the author of Tough Love. Her story is on page 26 of the October 2022 issue. She says, I kept coming back because of the unconditional love, but it was the tough love that got through to me. Hey, folks, just a reminder that we need you to call 212-870-3418 to record questions for the old timers and also recovery related jokes. That's 212-870-3418. Hi, guys. Lynn W. from Billings, Montana. I've been sober since June 27th, 2005. Hey, Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. Thank you. What What is this tough love that you're talking about in the article? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't pick the title, so it's interesting that that's what they've um, latched onto. I did not start staying sober when I first discovered AA. Um, I was 20 years old, and I thought complete sobriety was a little bit drastic, so I came to meetings, you know, because that's where the hope was. I was not ready to try the program of AA. People accepted me and they wanted me here, but they didn't want to hear what I had to say because it's the same thing over and over again. When an alcoholic won't quit drinking, we know what that looks like. So people said, keep coming back, but sit down, shut up and listen. Ah, And that's what I did. Where was the hope when you first came to your first AA meeting? How did you find out about AA? Well, my dad. My dad was sober. He was in the program probably 12 or 15 years. Most of my childhood was my dad going to AA and my mom going to Al-Anon. So oh, wow. <laughs> I was well on. aware that I was an alcoholic. Yeah. Sobriety, like I said, not for me, but maybe some spiritual principles. That's what I need. I would drink on my way home from AA meetings, but I got sober in Greensboro. <laughs> no kidding. Eventually, took me about a year and a half <laughs> at the Unity Club. I don't know if that's still there. Oh, yes, yeah. I, Unity Club is doing face-to-face meetings. They're back. Oh, yeah. Well, that's where I learned about the traditions. I mean, those are the guys that said, keep coming back. And I mean... I tell stories because, you know, they broke a lot of traditions. Remember, this is back in 2005. I'm sure they follow them all today. But (laughs) in 2005, I mean, we read outside literature saying that we shouldn't be reading outside literature. And I remember pointing that out to somebody and they said, shut up, newcomer. It's better than whatever you're thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) So that is tough love. So where was the hope in that? 
well, the hope was that I needed to quit listening to my own ideas. You know, my ideas was, were what kept me miserable. And so when I'd come to a meeting and I would share, like they were very clear on the definition of the word share. You know, we call it sharing at meetings because I'm taking what I have and giving a little bit of it to you. And all I had was the disease, was the alcoholism, which everybody already knew that. I mean, that's what brings us to meetings. So if I wanted to stay sick, that was my choice. They wanted me to keep coming back because that's where the hope is, you know, but that doesn't mean they wanted to hear what I had to say. <laughs> I've heard that referred to as sharing the mess instead of the message. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, once I got a sponsor, once I started working this, the program, that's when they started inviting me to share. I was welcomed a lot more than, you know, sit down, shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> You're not in North Carolina now. Right now, I when I had about 18 months, I moved to Seattle and then from Seattle to Phoenix and then Phoenix here in Billings. So I've moved around quite a bit in recovery. There's a common thing that, you know, I finally experienced it when I moved from North Carolina to California. Have you experienced this with these moves where each time you move where you move to, they're doing it wrong? Yeah, it, it was really hard. So one of the things in Greensboro that we did was you give the welcome chips at the end of the meeting because that way the person's experienced the meeting. So when we're inviting you to join us, they know what we're doing. Nobody gives the coins at the end of the meeting. Everybody does at the beginning. And I think that is so backwards still. <laughs> still. We're very sensible here in Greensboro. <laughs> I think so. Yes. Um it's understanding again that it's not my way to get sober like just mm -hmm. like they told me when i was coming back still drinking like my way does not work and so even though i think it has to be a certain set way like somehow people are still staying sober <laughs> giving the coins out at the beginning of the meeting i mean I just, yeah. <laughs> i've always thought that in the traveling that i've done the things that are different are the things that don't matter it's the things that are the same that are the things mm -hmm. that really matter. Right. You know, and, and it all comes down to the literature and carrying the message. And no matter how they're doing it, the literature stays the same. And when I travel, actually, my first sponsor, she told me to look for literature meeting because then it doesn't matter what they do. That part will always be the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. Literature meetings are an incredible resource, particularly for people who are early in recovery, because the meeting is around the program at that point. Did you go to literature meetings when you moved to these new cities? Yeah, I remember in Seattle not being able to get my feet under me. Like I couldn't find people that I could connect to. Hmm. And it was a big book study, you know, one of those read a paragraph or two and then share on the topic. And there was a dictionary from 1949. Yes. And, nice. you know, we looked up everything we could. That was enough of a connection back into what we did in Greensboro. Were there struggles in moving with staying sober? I've always been good at the geographic. I'd stay sober and I, I'm still running from myself. So yeah, when I land there, I am. I've chased that my entire recovery. And even today, I own a house that plants me here. You know, my service position was two years a two-year commitment, you know? What's your service position? Well, currently I'm DCM of District 11 here in oh, Montana. Cool. District committee member. Yeah. Previously, I was GSR. GSR is a general service representative. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what a GSR does and what a DCM does? What's Sure. They're basically the connection, the communication between the group 
and you know AA as a whole, both directions. So the GSR is from their individual home group to the district level, which is all the groups. From there, they go on to communicate with the rest of the state of Montana. In our case, that's what our area is, mm-hmm. and AA as a whole. So, for example, when there's things like uh, preamble changes and <laughs> the yeah. meeting format starts showing up and people are wondering why, you know, we're talking about people and not men and women anymore, you know, the, the GSR is the one who can answer that question. <laughs> if they're an active GSR. Yes, and exactly. it's really the heartbeat of AA, um, you know, and service work was always important right back to, you know, when I was a newcomer, somebody with 30 days was chairing because that's that's how you get them anchored in this program. That was one of the first things I did was be invited to chair a meeting. And <laughs> what kind of meeting was it? Like literature studies where we just pick a page or two and read. I have found if you're new and you're chairing, make it a literature meeting. Because Mm -hmm. if things start going off the rails, you can always pick right back up in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I encourage people to bring your book. So you have your underlines, your markings in there. And you can, when you're flipping through randomly, you can find something that's already spoke to you. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, it's a real treasure. I have a big book that I got sober with and read with my sponsor. And and it's underlined in different highlights and notes in all the borders and such. Well, it's fallen apart. It's a loose leaf. It's a loose leaf (laughs) book now. So I bought a new one and it was really hard for me to have a brand new book with nothing in it, but I'm starting to fill it up. No, I I know what you mean. I've done the same thing. I bought a new one, but I can't stop bringing my old one. So I haven't figured out how that works yet either. (laughs) (laughs) Lynn, I'm interested in what you said about when you were drinking, you were looking for a spiritual solution. You know, when I was drinking, I did that thinking that if there's some way I could figure out why I'm compelled to drink so much and I, you know, I can't quit, I couldn't control it. And I was aware of that. So I became involved with the church and meditation groups. We were studying Zen philosophy and meditating together and doing a lot of affirmations and things like that. Because what I was thinking was, I could feel that there's something missing inside of me, and I'm drinking at it. And there's a a certain coil of fear and anxiety inside of me that I drink at. Because as I meditated, I could feel it, but I couldn't release it. So I thought that the spiritual seeking would help. I was a real spiritual seeker before I came to AA. I didn't like the idea of a God. I liked the idea of meditating and doing affirmations. And the idea that we talked about a lot was that God is in me. I am God. And and that's that part of me that is connected to other people, but it's me. Right. So I was seeking all of that. Tell me about what you were seeking and what you were resisting with AA. Well, I can relate with a lot of that. I I was a very angry atheist when I got sober, and then I hit a period at about 11 years where with sobriety, I decided to be atheist again, and neither time it worked out well. I had a spiritual experience when I was still drinking. You know, it happened at a temple in India. You were seeking? <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, I mean, I was studying philosophy because that's where the answer is going to be. Right. You know, and you have to drink and use drugs when you're studying philosophy. So it's not <laughs> that I'm an alcoholic. It's I'm seeking, like you were saying. And I ended up at a temple in India where my higher power was very, very present. And instead of doing anything constructive, I immediately got as drunk as I could and entered into a binge. So when I came into the rooms of AA and they talked about the spiritual solution and they were very clear from the start, you know, this is a spiritual, not a religious program. Mm -hmm. You know, spirituality is different, completely different. And, and I don't know if they've emphasized that in areas that aren't the South, you know, being in North Carolina, they made it very clear that in their mind, religion is for people that are afraid of going to hell and spirituality is for those of us that have been to hell and we don't want to go back. Yeah. So we're, they're not trying to push any idea of God on us. They're trying to lead us to a, a higher power we can do business with. Right. Because like you were saying, I knew something greater than me existed, but I don't want to separate it from me. Like I'm still not much, but I'm all I think about. Thank you. I can figure this out. <laughs> you know, and the big book talks about it as the bridge of reason. And mm. I loved that bridge and it would get me so far. But that's where the difference between faith and belief comes in, because I had all these beliefs about these spiritual principles. You know, I could see them in the rooms of the people that were sober, but I, I couldn't quite take that leap because there's some unknowing about God. Sometimes God's will scary. You know, it's not what I want. But again, what I want is drugs and alcohol. It's, it's being drunk all the time. It's oblivion. Like what I want doesn't work being open that the spiritual solution is what works. It took a lot of trial and error to be open to that. And then just settling down and saying, fine, God, God, it is, it is God. It is not me. I don't know what it is, but it is God. <laughs> <laughs> I was told to pray. You start out praying. And I said, I don't think I believe in God. And they said, well, that's not what we asked you to do. You know, that'll come later. Like, first you take the action, which is prayer, and then maybe you'll believe in God. I mean, does that just sound familiar to you guys? Like, is that what you're still telling <laughs> people? Exactly <laughs> my path. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I related to this too, because I had the hole in the soul type thing going on before I got sober. And I tried a lot of things. Spirituality was not a big thing on my ticket before coming into the rooms. It was service. I tried volunteering at various organizations. So I would get off work and instead of going and buying a fifth, I would go and volunteer somewhere. But that only worked for so long because I still hadn't stopped drinking. It's, it's surprising that whether it's a life of service, a spiritual life, a combination of the two, none of that works if you're still drinking. The sobriety part is very important in the rooms of AA. <laughs> <laughs> I liked affirmations because... And gosh darn it, people like you, Don. People like me. It's like, <laughs> tell myself that I'm good. I affirm that I am doing well and going to do well. And I came at the AA and the message that I need to surrender to something else. It was repulsive to me <laughs> that this is not a self-help program. This is a God help program. God being whatever your higher power is, there's a higher power and I'm not it. The idea of surrendering to that and then doing the action, go ahead and pray and, okay, I'll ask the nothing to keep me sober today. 
because that's what it felt like to me. Then to discover that this is going to be the path that's going to keep me sober because it did work. So I looked at it like an experiment. I will experiment with this and see what happens because everything else I had done didn't work. And my sponsor said, you've done a lot of good thinking about this. He was complimentary. He said, let's put this on the shelf for three months and then dive into what AA is asking you to do and what I do, and then see if that works. And then we'll come back and compare the two in three months. I was going, well, that seems like a good idea. That's a great idea. And I want to point out too, that, you know, if you're going to experiment, I love calling it that. If you're going to experiment, you actually have to follow meticulously the plan, the program that's given, follow the procedure. (laughs) Right. All of it, not just the parts you want to do, but all of the black parts. That's, that's what I was taught. (laughs) Yeah. So Lynn, how do you stay sober today? Well, lots of prayer and service work, pretty much what we're talking about. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, like what we were just talking about, Don, you and I have the spiritual side, say on the service work side, and it takes all of all of it to keep us sober, but none of it's worth anything without the sobriety. I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm very involved in service. I, I'm not a naturally social person. Like there's a potluck I'm going to this afternoon and I'm scared. Oh to my go. God, I feel you. <laughs> but because I'm involved in AA service, you know, I, I show up anyway. Right. I'm very involved in service on the district level. I just picked up an area position. We had our elections last week. So wow. that's what's next for me. And and I sponsor women. I have a service sponsor now and a service sponsee as well. All right. <laughs> when I talk about an angry atheist period with 11 years sober, you know, I, I decided kind of what we were talking about. Like I, maybe it's not an outside power. I've been sober for 10 years. Maybe I don't need this anymore. Um, And what I found is I absolutely do. (laughs) (laughs) Can you describe how you came to the decision that you do? Oh, yeah. It was a dry drunk period. I mean, the bedevilments right off of the page were active in my life. And I came crawling back to AA and then I hadn't drank thanks to a power greater than myself. I didn't drink through the period. I found a women's meeting down there in Surprise, Arizona, and I found a sponsor. Um, and at first, at first, when I asked her to be my sponsor, she actually said no. And I was relieved because that meant all the pressure was off, you know, and I just <laughs> jumped in her back pocket. Then she became my sponsor. Yeah. And just the sweet willingness of the dying is what it was. I had to start over, um, you know, and, and it's a weird situation to start over still sober because there's still things that I do know, you know, I know how to not take a drink, you know, but what I don't know is how to be happy or useful. Um, that's when I, you know, stood for the alternate GSR position. I credit it all to just following a higher power, you know, and, and not listening to my own ideas. The alternate GSR position at my home group, it was vacant <laughs> for a while. And my father was at the end of, of ALS. He died sober. And the last oh. time that I saw him, you know, I told him these plans I had, I was going to go to the camp out this summer and I was going to get involved in my home group. I'm going to make a commitment, you know, you know, and the home group business meeting was actually the day that my, my dad passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, wow. And I couldn't be there when he passed, but I could show up at the home group meeting and start this service journey. And that's what I did. I stood for alternate GSR that night. And I really attribute that to 
I kept moving. Like it was the next right thing to do, you know, and the next day I kept doing the next right thing. You know, I could have fallen off um, depression, anger. This was shortly after I'd come back to the program. So, you know, I, I might've had, you know, 12 years sober, but I was really, really raw and it could have gone either way. And um, the answer is always more AA, more higher power. Like, <laughs> Don't you think if I start to become either depressed or discouraged or angry, then there's some place I need to look. What's going on? I mean, we have to accept pain and loss in life. But in accepting that, we don't have to live in it forever. When I feel those things, that's when I need to reach out instead of close up. I don't care how long I've been sober. It's the natural instinct to close up. But I need to share it with my sponsor. I need to talk about it in meetings. Connection. Right. And I can either blame and be angry at my higher power or AA or my home group or whatever. You know, I can either be angry or I can look to those things for comfort to get me through, you know, because my default emotion is anger. I'd rather be angry than anything I'm feeling naturally. So, you know, setting that aside and, and recognizing that all of these things give me an, a safe avenue for it. You know, sometimes our higher powers will hurt. Life is not always easy. <laughs> I've been sober since I was 22. I got married and divorced sober. You know, I've married my dad sober. Like I've had some bad days sober, yeah. um, but it's, it's better than you know, I'm, I'm just grateful I didn't have to run to the bar because of it. Yeah. At the end of the day, that is the win. Knowing that I'm I'm finding something constructive to do with the pain. And sooner or later, it'll get turned into experience that I can use to help the next alcoholic. Yeah. You know, there's something about your story. There's so much that I can relate to. My last drink was in 2003, but in 2012, I reset my sobriety date because I used poppers and diet pills in a way that's not sober for me. I got a new sponsor and I started working the steps. Things opened up. I was new again. And you were talking about at 11, 12 years sober, you were new. You came back to the program. If you're stagnant, if you're being visited by the bedevilment, you know, if your life sucks and you're sober, be new. You don't have to drink to be new. You don't have to start over. You don't have to reset your sobriety date. You don't have to go out and drink, use, and all that kind of stuff. You can be new. And start taking ideas that you dismissed at first, you know, and yeah. I, I suppose I'm kind of leaning into the service work kind of thing, but it's never too late to get involved. You know, if your group doesn't have a GSR, talk to them about what it takes the whole reason we're doing this interview right now, guys, is because I have a District 11 grapevine chair who really wanted to get involved. So we started this program where, you know, sponsorship families or home groups would commit to submitting an article a month. Oh, cool. Right? That's what we really wanted to do. And so I wrote a story to submit to show how easy it is. You know, here I sit doing an interview with you guys. So, you know, that's beautiful. I, I think that's all AA. Like I'm totally unattached to the result. Lynn, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sam, how can people submit their story to the grapevine? Well, that's super simple. You can go to aagrapevine.org slash share, S-H-A-R-E, not C-H-E-R. <laughs> thanks, Lynn.
The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions for Why I Love the 12 and 12. Stories are due by December 15th, 2022. Our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book turns 70 next year. Tell us the ways this book has enriched your sobriety. Is there a story about using the book that you'd like to tell? How does your group use it? What are your favorite passages and why? Share your story by December 15, 2022 via aagrapevine.org share. Can I take your order? I'll have a shot on name. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll be right back. Order up. This order says one nay. What the heck is a nay? That's what he ordered. A shot of nay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.